Welcome to the Old School Meeting of Overeaters Anonymous, which features speakers with long-term abstinence. This meeting was born online, and it's going to stay that way. That means you can attend live on Tuesday evenings at 6.30 Pacific if you'd like to. Go to the Los Angeles Intergroup's webpage at oalaig.org for login information. And now, our speaker. It is now time for me, that's me, to tell you what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now, in essence, and how and why I stay abstinent today. I'm Megan. I'm a compulsive overeater visiting from Chicago. Great to be in this lively group. You guys have a lot of energy. It's such a welcoming group, so thank you for making me feel so comfortable, even though I'm on a screen. I still have like not really gotten used to it, but I have in the past two years, like everybody. Um, Deborah, thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, my dear friend, Deborah, of almost 40 years, um, asked me to come into this meeting tonight and share my experience, strength, and hope. And um, so many things to say in, in a short amount of time. I can say, though, that the program of Overeaters Anonymous saved my life. I could stop talking right there. I, I could give you the car accidents, the um, missed opportunities, the things I easily discarded, the... Um, I never went to Weight Watchers. I never went on a, di a diet. Why would I go on a diet? I knew it would never last. So I did the quick things, drugs, uh, speed pills, um, hypnosis. Um, I never smoked. I, could, I grew up with two smokers and smoking was never a, a thing for me. And as one of my brothers would say, Megan, we just didn't do it enough. We just didn't do it like the fifth time. Because for me, it's like, I'll do anything at least three times and definitely with an addiction uh, of which I have several. Um, if I did something five times, I was hooked. Um, so just to give you a little background, how I got to OA. Um, grew up in Chicago, uh, large family, eldest, um, kind of raucous group, you know, some alcoholism all up and down the ladder in my family. Um, and I will say, and I like to remember this, um, to say in leads is that recovery in families is possible. It doesn't always happen, but in, in our family, some of us were able to find the 12 steps. And actually one of my brothers was not, and he's no longer here. Um, however, it is possible for recovery to happen in families. Um, and I am so grateful for that. Um, so growing up in a large Irish Catholic family, my hearing was very, very good. And the reason I say that my hearing was so good is that in our kitchen, and I can picture it to this day, I was an expert at opening the kitchen cabinets ever so quietly and taking whatever I wanted. I was also really good at our freezer. We had the regular refrigerator and then we had a big freezer where you had to lift the top, all the frozen foods, the meats, the ice cream and the sheet cake from in Chicago. We had Sarah Lee, the big sheet cake. I don't know, 24 inches, 56 inches, 60 inches. Didn't matter. But I was an expert at starting to slice just the littlest of slivers of cake and 
kept going like that, kept going like that, kept going like that. Um, I grew up in high and in high school or really like, I don't know, middle school. My parents started to say, you could always have, you always know when your parents were going to give you like some lecture I did or some talk. And, um, they're like, Megan, you know, and there's that pause. And I, I can remember sitting in the, in my parents' car, I don't know, driving with five other kids in the back or something, Megan, if only, and that was my life. If only, if only this, that, and the other thing. And, um, you know, this disease made a liar out of me. And um, so I went to high school, went to college, partied all through college, Big Ten University, loved it. Completely anonymous, 60,000 banshees, hormones racing. Everything was open season for me. And um, I never looked, I never, and I heard this in a meeting. So a lot of things I'm going to share, I've heard in OA, but I never looked um, below my neck. Like when I would look in the mirror, I never looked below my neck. And I heard that I heard a lady talk about that in a lead because she was talking about the different clothes and sizes in her closet. And I could totally relate to that. And I do remember sophomore year in high school, going to some diet doctor with my mom, you know, shooting speed and taking pills. And I remember getting to what I thought was like my perfect weight. And so going to the high school swim meet, I thought, oh my God, I've arrived. I've arrived. This is it. And you know, it lasted for like 30 seconds. And that's just how it was for me. Once I st- once I picked up food, it, I, I, I had no off switch and it didn't matter what it was. It really, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. I, I can't think of one thing I didn't eat. Okay. Anchovies. Other than that, everything's fair game for me. And um, so what happened for me was, and how I got in, and how I met Deborah was, just about this time in 1984, my life was just completely, um, I could not manage how I felt on the inside and how, it, how I thought I looked on the outside. And I was working on LaSalle Street and I had this big job and blah, 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 living downtown, living the dream, blah, blah, blah. But when people would say, you know, we're going to have a, a New Year's Eve party, do you want to come? I'm like, no, I'm busy. I, w- I, I wasn't busy. I, I, I didn't have any plans. And um, so uh, New Year's Eve 1984, there's a snowstorm in Chicago, no shock. And I borrow a friend's car and I'm driving to the suburbs because I felt horrible. And I thought, OK, I'm going to go to my parents' home where my, fa- where my family was at the time. And I got in a car accident. And the reason that I bring that up is that sometimes people have the notion that food is not as serious of an illness. For me, it's a fatal illness. It is fatal. The decisions I made under the influence of food, food fog, led me to make that decision. I know. And so I rang in the New Year's of 1985 in the back of a police car. And totaled my friend's car. It was a nightmare, right? But what the miracle was, was that October of 1984, just two short months prior, I was reading Chicago Magazine and I happened, okay, happened to come across some statement, some ad 
for Overeaters Anonymous and the downtown Chicago phone number. And I had that number in my drawer. And someplace after January 1st, after I came out of that fog, got the car repaired, back to work, I picked up the phone by a miracle and talked to, oh my God, Deborah, um, not Jackie, the lady, I forget her name, but nonetheless, she picked up the phone and I had known about Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't know about OA though. And I happened to call the downtown office and it was on a Monday. And this, the woman, the kind person on the other end of the phone said, well, there's a meeting and okay, I wait. And she goes, there's a meeting on Thursday. And I thought, perfect. Why did I say that? Cause I knew I would never go. Then she said, cause she's so smart. She said, and there's a meeting tonight. And she told me where it was. And it's a hospital that's no longer on the north side of Chicago. And that was my very first OA meeting. And I walked in because, again, my life, I was helpless, hopeless. I was desperate. And I knew in my heart of hearts that if I did not go through that meeting that day, that my life would be one of, I would be bloated, bitter, unemployable. I would have no friends. I would have no job. I would have no relationships with my family. I would be in the fetal position in the corner of some room. And that is my truth. Because this disease takes everything. It doesn't matter. So fortunately for me, God put the number right when I needed it, right when I could, when I took that, that moment. I had a moment of clarity. And I started going to OA meetings and have continued ever since. And what happened was that I had to get, I had to hit a bottom that almost caused me to die or someone else could be killed. And in my recovery, I've had two other accidents like that that have brought me to some other level of understanding in a relationship with my higher power. And the women, my first sponsors in OA, gave me the tools of recovery. They showed me what they did. They showed me, not only did they utter the words, but they actually, they were living lives that I was not living and I was willing to do what they were doing. And um, what it's like now and what, what has happened as a result of being in this program is that the things that I easily discarded as a, as a kid or as a young adult have been given back to me. And the things that are important today I don't know how many people could say that they still have a friend from 1985, that's Deborah, who continues to walk alongside. We've been through everything together. Um, for me, deaths in my family, marriage, divorce, loss of jobs, moving, um, all kinds of stuff. And the friendships that I have with Deborah and other people in OA continue to thrive and blossom and allow me the grace and dignity to walk through life, even when I don't feel like it, even when it's uncomfortable, even when I'm so sure that I have the right idea. And then guess what? I get thrown back, but I'm not alone. 
And that's the greatest thing about our program is the first word of the first step. We admitted. I didn't admit I was powerless over food. I first admitted my life is unmanageable. Like who goes in a snowstorm at 10 o'clock at night in a, in a borrowed car and gets in an accident? That, believe you me, people in this, on this call, it's a food fog. I have a fatal illness. And so what is my life like today? I'm happy, joyous, and free. And it has nothing to do with the things that I've gotten on my list. Because how many lists have I made? A jillion. How many things have I gotten on my list? Two jillion. Guess what? They're fleeting and transitory, and they've never filled that God-sized hole. You people fill that God-sized hole. You people show me the G-O-D, gift of desperation, good orderly direction. I forget the other one. Gift of desperation. I don't know, whatever. But I did hear one cool thing. Uh, one, okay, one million cool things in meeting. And it was a friend of mine that was talking about the word God. And they said, it's an action. It's love. God is an action word. It's a verb. It's action. And that's what I learned in OA. And, you know, there's so many, there's so many things I've learned in the program and one of it, one of them is by having a meal plan that has a beginning, a middle, and an end. I was the person that would stand in front of my freezer and take out that ice cream that I was not going to buy, that I was not going to eat, and I would just take it out, and I was completely powerless. I would get off the L in at Armitage, and there was a. Italian ice place and they had soft serve ice cream. And every day I could go to the left and go directly home, or I could go a block East and go by the ice cream place every day. I'm not going to do it every day. I did it because I am powerless over food. I am powerless over compulsive eating. I don't have a beginning, a middle and an end. And that's one of the tools that I was so freely given and gives my life peace and serenity. Five minutes left. That's good timing because I was just going to say that I'm so grateful to be here and I look forward to hearing what you all have to say and thanks for the opportunity.